If you see someone steal, their identity can be revealed. But address him in private before publicizing his name and do all you can to minimize his shame. Okay, so this week I'll be discussing um, the beginning of Klal Yud, Halacha, uh, Aleph through Gimel, one through three. Um, so finally, uh, we talk about in what exactly in what instances and then how um, you're actually allowed to speak Lashon Hora Lato Elis for a good purpose. So there are certain instances where you need to publicize something about someone that normally would be Lashon Hora, but um, in certain instances with a lot of, uh, you know, with a lot of caveats, the Chavitz Chaim says you actually are allowed to speak Lashon Hora, and then um, he sometimes even says you're forced, you're, you're, you're uh, Chayev to speak Lashon Hora. Um, so moving to starting with Halacha Aleph. So he says, somebody saw a person committing a sin against a fellow Jew. For example, someone steals something from someone else or they withhold wages from someone or some other type of verbal abuse. Um, whether or not the victim of the theft was aware of that, that person stealing or not, um, you know, or if that person was humiliated, you know, by the, by what was said or not, et cetera. Um, and the witness, um, and, and, uh, and also, uh, if the witness, you know, whether the witness has to know about the incident firsthand, um, and be certain that what was stolen has not been returned yet or compensated for, or some other kind of forgiveness has happened, especially if the case of it was a verbal abuse. Um, and the and, and, and if all those things happen, then the witness can and maybe even should tell others about the incident in order, um, but only for the purpose of helping the victim um, and potentially of degrading the evil actions of the sinner, but not in order to get a geschmack, good feeling about, um, you know, putting down the sinner, about being able to speak Lashon Hora. It has to be kind of said with regret, but you're only saying it simply to help the victim, you know, recover whatever was stolen from him. Um, so the Chavetz Chaim goes on to say that even if you're the only witness to a theft, you still should potentially share that information with the community. You should speak, you know, you should publicize the theft. Um, why? Because the Chavetz Chaim says it is permitted for a single witness to swear and based it normally. I've talked extensively on this on, on this podcast that, you know, normally you need to have two witnesses to be effective and based in. But there is a few exceptions. And one of those exceptions is a single witness can force a Shavua. If a single witness comes and says that a person, that a certain person owes a certain amount of money or stole something, then um, even just one witness can force the, um, the, the, the potential thief to swear, uh, you know, in God's name that he didn't steal what he, what, what, what was claimed against him. Um, so therefore the Chavetz Chaim says, because a single witness is effective in forcing a, an, an oath. So too, if you're a single witness to a theft, you can also, you know, you can also share that incident, um, you know, publicly to, to help the victim. 
And first, the Chavetz Chaim says you should try to address the sinner in private, and I'll get more into these details in the next halacha. Um, the witness has to be sure the object was stolen and not, you know, and, and, and there was no attempt made to apologize. The Gemara in Shabbos um, says that, you know, if you see a, a Chacham commit a sin, you should automatically assume that by the next morning he already did teshuva. There is an exception, though, that Gemara and Shabbos says. If you see that person steal something and they still have that stolen object in their possession, then and, and you know it wasn't returned, then you cannot assume that they did teshuva. Why is that? It's for a very nice message. The message is, is that um, teshuva is entirely dependent when you steal something from someone else. Teshuva is not just between you and God. It's between you and the other person that you stole from. So if you steal from someone else, an integral part of that teshuva process is returning what was stolen or making amends if you offended someone. Um, anything that you do between any kind of sin you do to somebody else in order to fully atone for that sin, you have to first go to that person and make amends, either by giving back what was stolen or by apologizing for how you insulted them. Um, and so the Chavetz Chaim says that if you normally, the general rule is you should just assume everybody automatically did teshuva for what they did before. However, that's not true in the case of an item being stolen. If an item was stolen, you have to assume that, yeah, the item was stolen. Um, and, and if that item is still in their possession, you have to assume they did not do teshuva because an integral part of teshuva is, of course, retor- returning what, uh, what was stolen to the, to its rightful owner. Now, um, the Chavetz Chaim also writes, so it's definitely, this is dealing with the case of someone stealing from someone. You can, you know, you can publicize that information, but he also gives other examples. For example, withholding wages. If someone doesn't pay someone what they're rightfully owed, um, that might also be an instance where you could speak Lashon Hara about them. Um, you could, it, this also applies to if the person was humiliated or verbal, or someone was verbally abused, um, and he doesn't really define exactly what that means. Uh, maybe in a, a future halacha he will, but if somehow if someone was humiliated or verbally abused, that's also an instance the Chavetz Chaim says you might be able to, um, to, to, to do something about it as far as publicizing what they did wrong and, and, try, to, uh, and try to help the victim. So moving to halacha bet, so um, there are seven qualifications, seven, uh, seven rules that you have to follow to uh, be able to speak Lash and Hora, for example, about someone that stole from someone else. Um, and how do you remember these seven? So uh, one mnemonic I heard was shtika yafe. Shtika yafe meaning silence is beautiful. And basically that uh, every one of those letters kind of lines up with one of these seven rules here. Um, so moving to, uh, the first rule in halacha bet of, you know, the seven qualifications. So the first of the seven is a speaker, um, must hear it firsthand. There's no hearsay. And that, you know, that's a general rule in the Chavetz Chaim that you have to be, uh, very sure that you, what you saw is true. And how the only way you can really be sure what you saw actually happened is if you saw it yourself relying on somebody else's report already by then it might not be true. So you yourself have to see it in order to report, um, you know, what was, what, what was done. Moving to the second qualification. So don't automatically assume it was, it was, it was a theft or it was a sin. 
Um, this, you know, was, uh, and, and, and the Chavetz Chaim says that very oftentimes theft is, you know, it's kind of unusual that a person just blatantly steals someone, something from someone else, will go over to their house and just blatantly take something of theirs. Normally what happens is, you know, it, it's sort of, uh, for example, the Chavetz Chaim says in business deals, sometimes it's a little bit unclear exactly where business ethics followed, were they not, with someone you know, withheld wages that they were owed or, or, or did they not really do the work? You know, I mean, it's a little bit complicated. And, and the Chavetz Chaim says, be sure that you got your story right. And they're actually deserving of being criticized uh, before you before you publicly shame them. Uh, then, and even the story about wages being withheld, it reminds me of the story in the Gemara about, uh, I think potentially it was Rabbi Akiva, that where Rabbi Akiva, um, you know, was worked for someone for three years. And at the end of the three years, the, 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 the person he worked for said, sorry, but I can't pay you. And Rabbi Akiva guessed again and again, assumed again and again, um, you know, for his, for, for that, that it must be a good reason why he wasn't paid. Maybe he wasn't paid because the guy spent all his money in a business venture, or he donated all of his animals to the base of Migdash um, et cetera, et cetera. There's just a bunch of different examples that are gone, that are, that are, um, you know, spoken about in that Gemara. And actually every single one of those things was hundred percent true. And that's why he couldn't be paid on time. Uh, but as I mentioned, withholding wages, which that was an example of withholding his wages, that actually would be a permissible time to speak Lashon Hara. Um, so moving to the Halacha, uh, or I guess the third qualification of uh, being able to speak Lashon Hora. So he says, first, you should rebuke the sinner privately with a gentle, non-confrontational language. And only then are you able to publicize it. And um, and, and, and basically, uh, the Chavetz Chaim says, why is it so important to first address someone privately? It's because very oftentimes when you address someone privately about a sin that they did, it could be that that sinner will actually explain the situation to show really it wasn't a sin. You know, for example, as I said, it's sometimes very unclear in business exactly what was what you did wrong. Um, so maybe if you go to that person and you think they cheated someone in business, you can go to them and ask and say, no, you just didn't understand the whole situation. Really, there was this other factor and, and I actually didn't cheat the person the way that it, it might have seemed on its face. Moving to the fourth rule. So don't exaggerate the details of the crime more than they are. Um, and uh, I'll get more into that a little bit later. Uh, the fifth rule is remarks must intend a useful outcome to either help the victim or, um, or as I said, to stay, maybe to, to tell people to stay away from uh, the person that was the, to stay away from the thief. Um, also, the speaker shouldn't benefit at all financially by degrading the sinner, or benefit really in any way, even benefit just by feeling good about himself. The Chavetz Chaim speaks very negatively about that too. Um, so the sixth rule. Um, so he says, use some other strategy before Lashon Hara. If it can be avoided in any way, try to address them privately, try to hint at it, try to somehow get a, you know, basically try to get, get this guy's, you know, if a thief stole something, try to get this guy to give back what he stole some other way other than, um, you know, using Lush and Hora against him and, and, and publicizing and, and making his name, uh, you know, uh, sort of rubbing his name in the mud. Obviously, if it's necessary, it's necessary, but try to use some other strategy or strategy if possible. Um, the seventh rule 
And the seventh and final rule is that the remarks shouldn't cause any harm above and beyond the punishments that he would have got from Baston anyways. Um, so this is a kind of an interest. You have to already be kind of understanding what the, it, had he gone, had he been a, um, you know, a criminal in, had he, had he been accused in the Baston, what would he have owed? So if he, if you're by, if you by, if you by announcing what he did wrong would have been a greater sin than Baston would have punished him, then you shouldn't speak about it. Um, and the Chavitz Chaim says, you know, there's so many qualifications here, seven qualifications. Why is it so many qualifications? Why can't you just speak Lush and Hora? If someone stole something, just say it. What's so, why so many steps here? Um, and the Chavitz Chaim says it's because it's very unlikely, he says, that Lush and Hora will actually right the wrong that was done. So it's very unlikely that by speaking this Lush and Hora, that someone that actually, that stole something will be convinced by sort of social pressure to return the thing. Obviously, it's worth it if necessary. On the other hand, the Chavitz Chaim says, since it's so unlikely it'll actually right the wrong, there's a lot of qualifications. Um, the Gemara and Yavamot talks about a story where a man was lost in Lake Semcha, or Lake Semcha, and uh, Rav Shela permitted this person's wife who's who, the, the man that was the man that was lost in the lake permitted his wife to remarry because he thought that 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 this man likely drowned and as a result Rav thought that Rav Shela um had the wrong um you know made the wrong decision to permit his wife to remarry because he felt like this man was still alive and in which case um, you know, she, if, if the man was still alive, she can't remarry. And Rav wanted to excommunicate Rav Shela for making this terrible decision to permit this man to remarry, to, sorry, to permit the woman to remarry, even though his, her husband was still likely alive. Um, but Shmuel pushed back against Rav and first, um, asked Rav Shela whether he, you know, what he did by permitting his wife to remarry was um, was a mistake. And Rav Shela admitted, yes, it actually was a mistake. I made a mistake by allowing this this woman to remarry. And um, so Rav, uh, the, so so the Chavetz Chaim explains here. You know, we can see this is an example where um, where you first. You know, you went to you. You actually went to someone before you. Um, uh, you 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 basically you went to the sinner before you publicized it to everyone, or before you took the drastic step. So you know that was one of the requirements that before doing, uh, before publicizing the lashon hara, you should first go to the sinner and and talk to them in a gentle, non-confrontational, private way to try to get them ret- to return what they stole. So the Chavetz Chaim says this case here where wh- why is it that Rav wanted to excommunicate Rav Shela without first asking him if what he did was a mistake privately. So the Chavetz Chaim explains that's only because what the wrong that Rav Shela did by allowing his by allowing this woman to remarry was something that could resulted in a sin that had no remedy. Basically this woman pretty much committed adultery uh, if the decision was wrong. That to, you know, since Rav Shela was wrong in permitting his wife to remarry, basically that woman committed adultery, pretty much. And he said that's a sin with no remedy. Rav says so. Um, but however, where there is a remedy, then the Chavetz Chaim says it's very obvious. You first have to go to the sinner first. Everyone agrees with that. So in the case of where someone stole from someone else, 
there is a remedy, namely that um, that person could return what they stole, that would be the remedy, then um, they then you absolutely have to address that person because they might be able to return what they stole first. But if um, the Chavetz Chaim says that the case that we had about this lake, a man that, that potentially drowned in the lake, um, that was only an instance where... Um, where there was no remedy, basically. The woman had already remarried. There was no remedy. There was no way of fixing it. Um, but here there is a remedy, namely to return the object, the stolen object. So you should always first go and um, go and address that person on a, in a private way. So the Chavetz Chaim says, don't exaggerate uh, you know, the proof. That was, um, that, that was the fourth rule of the seven. Why is that? It's because um, when you... He, the, the, the Gemara says that saying that someone sinned is even worse than doing a sin. So exaggerating a sin and, and publicizing a sin that someone didn't commit is even worse than actually doing the sin. Why is this? Um, the Gemara records that um, for a rape, a person is fined 50 pieces of silver. However, if the man falsely accuses a woman of committing adultery after she had had Kedushin, uh, but before she actually was officially married with Nisuin, uh in that in between, sort of after she was sort of uh, engaged with Kedushin, and she committed um, she committed adultery at that point, he actually owes and, and and he lies about it. He lies about the fact that she was unfaithful. The truth is, really, she wasn't, uh, but he lies about it. Then he actually owes a hundred pieces of silver for being dishonest. So um, so basically, the point being is that. Uh, that you're only fined a hundred pieces of silver for actually committing a, a, the terrible crime of rape. However, um, by by kind of uh, accusing someone else of being unfaithful, you're actually fined double that, a hundred pieces of silver. So the Gemara concludes, doing the sin is sort of less bad than um, than say than than publicizing a sin that someone else you know publicizing a sin that that a person didn't actually do and the proof for that is that basically for the same crime for doing the crime namely rape you get um, you you you're owe, you you owe fifty pieces of silver but um, for 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 falsely claiming that someone was unfaithful you owe a hundred pieces of silver double the fine. Um, and, uh, and, and the Chavetz Chaim then goes on to say that a solitary witness should not ex- at all exaggerate in Bastin. Uh, the Chavetz Chaim says that, that, um, if a person owes a hundred dollars, that the, then the witness cannot claim, should not even claim that he owes a hundred dollars and one penny, even one penny over what the actual truth is, is a blatant lie. You can't do it. You cannot exaggerate what a person did. Um, so, uh, the Chavetz Chaim says also that we shouldn't take too much enjoyment in, um, in this, in this process of, um, of, of, you know, speaking negatively about someone, even though it might be necessary and even though it actually might be, uh, uh, you know, not just necessary, but an obligation to speak negatively about someone if we can prevent harm. Nonetheless, um, he says, don't take enjoyment out of it. What's his proof? He says, even though the Jewish people deserved it, when the Goyim, when the, all the other nations oppressed the Jewish people, um, the, it, 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 the Torah speaks about how they will be punished because they will be punished. Basically, though, why, why are they going to be punished? All they did was pretty much 
God, you know, the Jewish people deserve to be punished for their sins. And the Goyim just basically were the instru- God's instrument to make that happen. So why are the non-Jews going to be punished for, for uh, hurting the Jews if they were just kind of an instrument, a way that God designed that the Goyim would hurt the Jews and the Jews deserved it? So what did the Goyim do wrong? The, the, Jews were, the, the non-Jews were just kind of following orders. However, the, um, the, the answer is, the Chavitz Chaim says, is that the non-Jews, while they were punishing, you know, while they were oppressing the Jewish people, they enjoyed punishing and oppressing the Jewish people. They intended to do bad, to hurt the Jewish people, and not merely to be God's, you know, shaliach in order to punish the Jews. They, they got some enjoyment out of it themselves by punishing the Jews. And he says that's why they're going to be punished in the end of the day, that, that had the non-Jews punished the Jewish people, but they did it solemnly. They did it with kind of a sense of obligation. They felt bad about doing it. Then um, that would be totally permissible. However, since they actually enjoyed, they got a nice feeling out of hurting the Jewish people, then they, um, that's why they're being punished uh, because they intended to do negative. They intended to do bad. They got a nice geschmack feeling, you know, out of hurting the Jewish people. And therefore, they, um, they, they, they kind of, they're punished for it, even though, like I said, uh, they were doing something that was basically just the instruction of God, uh, because the Jewish people deserve to be punished. Uh, but nonetheless, they shouldn't have taken enjoyment out of it. Okay, the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Yud Aleph speaks about how Hashem told Yoshua, get up, why are you praying? Um, Israel has sinned. And Yoshua says, who sinned? And Hashem tells, uh, Yoshua, you think that I'm, you know, uh, a, a gossip? You think I'm an informer? Uh, you think that I, I speak Lashon Hora? No, I'm not going to tell you who sinned. Go cast lots to figure out who the sinner is. And the background to this is the sinner was actually this man named Achan, who was just an absolutely terrible person. Um, he took riches, he stole riches from Yaricho, which was against Hashem's command, which led to uh, a lot of death. He also um, raped a woman and he transgressed all five books of the Torah, the Gemara says. So he was just a terrible person, horrible person. And this seems like a classic example here where the Chavetz Chaim writes, this should be more than any other case, an example where Yoshua needed to know who the sinner was so he could properly deal with Yaricho. Um, this was a, sorry, not deal with Yaricho, deal, uh, deal, deal with Achan, who stole riches from Yaricho. Um, he, he needed to know this person's identity in order to, this was totally Lito Ellis. This was totally for a good purpose um, for Hashem to, to, to specify that Achan was the sinner. Why does, why does Hashem go, go through it through this roundabout way of saying, I'm not going to actually tell you who the sinner is, just go cast lots, you'll figure it out that way. And then on top of that, the Chavetz Chaim writes that, by casting lots, Achan could come back and say, how do you know that I'm the sinner? How do you know I'm the one that did bad? You just rolled some dice and it happened to land on a six. How do you know that that's me, that I'm the sinner? That's just random. That's just by chance. Um, and it was very hard to prove for Yoshua to prove that Achan was actually the sinner. However, he was able to do so. And um, and, and so the, the Chavetz Chaim asks, why is it the Lashon Hora would protect this wicked Achan? You know, if there's any example of 
Lashon Hora of, of an example where, you know, you're able to speak negatively about someone for a good purpose, this would be the case. This is Achan. This is the person that stole riches against God, God's will and raped women and transgressed all five books of the Torah. Classic, you know, big, a big, big reason why you should specify, why God should specify Achan's the sinner. How is it possible then that the Lashon Hora here is seems seemingly protecting Achan's identity? Why is that? So the Chavetz Chaim explains it's because there was another method to avoid Lashen, which avoided Lashen Hora, but was still able to get to the point, was still able to prove that Achan did it. And namely, that was by casting lots. Um, so since you were able to cast lots and figure out that it was, since Yoshua was able to cast lots and figure out, figure out that it was Achan, then um, God even though the guy totally deserved, Achan totally deserved to be called out by name, nonetheless, since there was another way to get around it by casting lots, um, the Hashem says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to publicize Achan's name. I'm not going to be a, 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 I'm not going to be someone that speaks Lashon Hora. Um, the Chavetz Chaim just says, in general, there's a rule in Halacha that you sort of, you should always take the most civilized, least harmful approach um, for example, if there's a rodef, if there's somebody that basically is coming after you to attack you and, um, and you're just uh, in self-defense, you're actually allowed to kill that person. Um, however, there's a qualification that if you're able to take out, instead of killing them, if you're able to basically take out a limb or somehow other injure them, but not, not injure them in a, in a, you know, to the point that they die, um, just injure them by taking out one of their limbs, for example, you should do that, and and it goes so the halacha goes so far to say that if you can stop them by taking out you know their their leg, for instance, but instead you kill them, you're considered a murderer. And the same is true with lashon hora, right? That if you're able to somehow address them privately, or you're able to somehow you know go about it through some roundabout way, then that's much preferable to speaking lashon hora. Lashon hora is a, a last resort. The Chafetz Chaim says. Um, and, you know, if you're able to somehow protect that sinner's identity by painting a picture of how bad the person is or something like that, but without specifying that person by name, that should always be the approach. Um, and uh, and I heard a, a nice story that basically there was someone in yeshiva uh, in like at the turn of the century that he was rebelling or something. And he, so he went to um, he went to a movie on 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 Chavez and the uh the, the the rosh yeshiva the head of the yeshiva he heard about this person going to the movie and what did he do so he walked uh, all the way to the first of all the guy drove to the movie theater he, and he was watching a movie on shabbat so what happened so to rebuke him um the the um the Rosh Hashiva walked to the movie theater sat next to him and instead of yelling him out and calling him out and criticizing him and blasting him and, you know, and, and just totally letting him hear all of his rebuke. The, um, the Rosh Hashiva just sat next to him and he said, you know what? I heard the popcorn here isn't kosher. You might be careful not to eat it. And, you know, that was an example where someone went out of their way to not totally degrade this person by saying, how could you drive out here on Chavez and watch this movie? You know, the popcorn not being kosher was the last of the things that this person did. Nonetheless, since it was kind of a nice way to say something, um, that just, you know, hey, I heard the popcorn isn't kosher, it still got across the right message, that it was the, that was the right approach, that was sort of the minimal harm. 
Um, and the Chavetz Chaim, moving on, so the Chavetz Chaim says, if you're a single witness, um, you know, this idea that you shouldn't commit more harm to a person than they, than they would have gotten in based in. So the Chavetz Chaim says, if you're a single witness, like I said, the most you can do is force someone to swear that they didn't steal. Um, so if your lush and horror will cause more damage than basically them having to swear that they didn't steal, then, um, you shouldn't speak lush and horror about them. Instead, you should try to somehow take this person to Bastin, um, instead of speaking lush and horror about them. Moving on to Halacha Gimel. So if all of these conditions, um, you know, all, all of these conditions of being able to speak Lashon Hora, they only apply to a witness that has never committed the sin that he witnessed. But, however, if the witness himself sinned in that way, then that witness is not allowed to publicize the sin. So, um, so the sort of the, the, the Musser here is that basically, as I said, you have to speak about the only way that you're allowed to um, publicize someone else's sin is if you sort of, if it's for the right purpose. So if there's no toelis purpose, if there's no permissible, and, and if there's no permissible purpose, you shouldn't really speak Lash and Hara then. Uh, or, you know, even if there is a permissible purpose, but if the main reason you're doing it is, is for negative, then that's an issue. Um, so the Chavetz Chaim says that basically if you yourself are a sinner and you see somebody do the same sin that you sin, and by you calling them out publicly, basically what that means is you're not doing it for their greater good because you yourself don't think it's that big of a deal. You yourself sin in that same way. So the Chavetz Chaim says, if you sin in the same way that you're calling somebody else out about a sin that they committed, then that's really a very clear indication that you have no toelis purpose. You have no positive purpose. You just want to degrade and you just love to see the downfall of others, he says. If you yourself are a sinner in that way and you're calling someone else out, you're, that you're the, you know, the pot calling the kettle black, the Chavetz Chaim says, then you can assume that basically that person that, that does the same sin and calls out someone for doing the exact same sin that they commit, then that's a sign that they're not doing it for a good purpose. They're just doing it to that just because they love to see the downfall of other people. Um, an example of this the Chavetz Chaim gives is Yehu fulfilled Hashem's um, will to annihilate King Ahav and kill King Ahav's kingdom. Nevertheless, um, killing King Ahav, Yehu killing King Ahav, was counted as a sin against God because Yehu himself was a sinner just like Ahav. So as I said, this is sort of uh, the pot calling the kettle black because Yehu himself was a sinner and he punished King Ahav for doing the same sins that he himself committed. Then it was actually, even though it was a good thing, it was God's will to hurt Ahav, nonetheless, God was punished, punished Yehu for doing it in the wrong way. Um, so there's an interesting note from Rav Chaim Kanievsky that basically asks the question, you know, it's very hard to sort of, as I said, you're really, ideally, you're supposed to totally separate yourself from the geschmack, the enjoyment you get out of degrading someone else. Um, if it's necessary to degrade someone else, you shouldn't get enjoyment out of it. Um, so Rav Chaim Kanievsky says that the main, that, that how do you, how do you exactly know whether you're able to speak about something? You know, what happens if you do kind of get some enjoyment out of it? So Rav Chaim Kanievsky says, as long as the main reason you're speaking about something is for a to'eles purpose, is for a good purpose, then, 
you're allowed to speak about it. Um, and it just the general kind of rule is, are you know, as far as if you, if you, uh, the general rule for, for speaking these kind of uh, negative things about other people is, are you getting some enjoyment out of it? If you just love speaking Lashon Hora and it makes you feel good inside to degrade a fellow Jew, then maybe you shouldn't be speaking Lashon Hora, even if it's for a quote unquote good purpose. Because the reality is it's probably not for a good purpose. It's probably because you just like the feeling of degrading someone else. And that is not a permissible purpose to speak negatively about someone. As I said, the only permissible purpose is to, you know, have them give back what they stole, etc. Um, so moving to recap what I spoke about. So this is the beginning of Klau Yud, where I spoke about all the seven different instances of how you're able to speak Lashon Hora Lito Elis. So Halacha Aleph talks about how if you see someone commit a sin against a fellow Jew, for example, they stole something or they withheld their wages or they somehow, you know, insulted them verbally, etc. Um, whether or not the victim was aware of the sin that was committed against them or, you know, they were humiliated or verbally abused um, or and, and as long as the witness knows about that incident firsthand and was certain that it in fact was actually stolen um, and it had not been returned yet, or it hadn't been, you know, the person hadn't asked for forgiveness, then the witness is allowed to tell others about the incident in order to, and only in order to help the victim, uh, you know, get back what was stolen, or to degrade the evil actions of the sinner and tell people to stay away from the, from this thief. Um, but as I said, there were seven qualifications in order to do so. The Chavis Chaim says that even if you're the only witness um you know, to a, to a sin of theft, you're still able to share that incident uh, to help the victim because normally a single witness is not effective. However, a single witness does have the power of making someone swear in Bastin. So if you're a single witness and you see someone steal, you actually are allowed to publicize it um, because, because the, the single witness in the case of monetary disputes actually has some power to make someone swear that they didn't steal. Um, and first, you should try to address that person in private before you publicize what they did. Uh, you have to be sure that what they actually stole was stolen and was had not been returned yet. There was no attempt made to apologize. The Gemara in Shabbos says that if you see a Chacham commit a sin, you have to assume that they did Teshuvah by the morning. There is an exception to that assumption, though, that they, commit, that they already did Teshuvah. If they stole something from someone else and they still have that possession in their, they still have that, that, that stolen object in their possession the next morning, then you can assume they did not Teshuvah. Why is that? Because, and it's just a very important principle in Teshuvah, that if you hurt someone else, for example, by stealing from them, you have to make amends with that person before you can make amends with Hashem. So if you steal from someone else, you have to return the object you stole to its rightful owner. And so basically, if you see, if you see a thief steal something and they still are holding on to what they stole, you can assume they haven't done teshuva because an integral part of teshuva with someone else is that you made amends with them. You returned uh, what was rightfully theirs. So if they're still holding on to what was stolen, then that's absolute definitive proof they have not done teshuva. Um, and as I said, it doesn't only, this, this concept of speaking Lashon Hora about someone in a necessary case not, doesn't only apply to theft or withholding wages. It also applies to humiliation or verbal abuse, potentially, that you see. You can maybe publicize that that person did something like that to get them to, to apologize. 
No, as I said, seven qualifications to be able to speak Lashon Hora Lato Elis. What are the seven? So as I said, there's a way to remember it. Um, Shtika Yafes, silence is beautiful. All of those kind of match up with, and as I said, it's kind of a nice idea. Shtika Yafes, silence is beautiful. This is obviously an example where you're not being silent. You are publicizing um, what someone did was wrong. However, the default is you should be you should be quiet in times of, you know, in, in times of publicizing what someone did that was wrong, uh, you know, and it's just the only times you should speak out are instances, are very specific instances where you might be able to correct a wrong. Um, so what are these seven different things, shtika uh, yafe, that you're able to, that you have to follow in order to speak Lashon Hora Lito Elis for a good purpose? First, the um, the speaker must hear what they you know, or see see the theft see the, the see the theft firsthand. It cannot be from hearsay. Secondly, you must automatically assume you cannot automatically assume it was theft. Um, and and the Chavetz Chaim says sometimes theft is very unclear in a business deal. That it's not always clear what's exactly the person withheld their wages or did they not really do the jobs? They weren't owed wages. You know sometimes it can be a little bit complicated what theft means especially in the case of business deals. And as I mentioned, even in a case where wages were withheld, there's the famous story in the Gemara where uh, it's likely Rabbi Akiva, you know, constantly viewed, even though he worked for three years and he got no money from it, um, he was 100% right that in all, all you know, with, he, he, he judged the person favorably and he was considered a great tzaddik for doing so. Um, and he was right about, about all the things that he guessed at judging that person favorably. Third, um, that you should you should rebuke the sinner with gentle and non-confrontational language in private before you end up publicizing what the sinner did. Um, and also by talking to them privately, you might actually figure out that, you know, the sin, the quote-unquote sin that you thought they committed, they'll explain it to you and you'll realize you just misunderstood, you know, their business deal and it actually wasn't theft. Fourth, don't exaggerate the details of the crime more than they are. Um, fifth, the remarks that you make must intend must be intended for a useful outcome to help the victim, and um, and the speaker shouldn't benefit in any way by degrading the sinner. The speaker shouldn't benefit financially or even benefit just by feeling good about himself. Um, sixth, use try to use some other strategy before speaking lashon hora, and seventh. Um, and Lushnor is basically only a last resort. And seventh, the remarks shouldn't cause any harm above and beyond the punishments that they would have got had they gone to court, had they gone to Bastin. Why are there so many qualifications? Why are these these seven qualifications? Because it's very unlikely that Lashon Hora will actually right the wrong. So the Chavis Chaim says, since it's so unlikely that by speaking out against a person, you know, whatever was stolen will get back to them, that there's just so many qualifications to be sure that it's done for the right purpose. The Gemara in Yavamot talks about um, a person that was lost, you know, a man that was possibly drowned in this lake. And Rav Shela permitted his wife, the potentially man that the man that disappeared, permitted his wife to to remarry. And Rav, as a result, wanted to excommunicate Rav Shela without first addressing Rav Shela and asking him why he made his decision. Um, and why was this? So the Chafetz Chaim explains that you're able to that that basically um, if someone does a sin that results, you know that that result is that there's no remedy then you're able to excommunicate them or, sh or cut them out without addressing them. 
Um, so because this was an instance where basically Rav Sheila permitted this woman to remarry and basically permitted this woman to essentially commit adultery because the man was still likely alive, um, Rav felt like that was so beyond the pale that he, and there was no remedy to, 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 you know, make good, then, um, he wanted to kick out Rav Sheila immediately. However, the Chavitz Chaim says in a case of theft, for instance, or a case of verbal abuse, for instance, it's absolutely necessary and mandatory that you address the person, the sinner, private, in private. Because when you address them in private, then um, then they will, you know, not... If you address them in private, um, uh, it, 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 it basically... Uh, will be th- that person may be able to correct their wrong. There is a remedy if someone stole from someone else. They can namely, namely, they can return what was stolen back to its rightful owner. So only a case where there's no remedy, like where someone permits a woman to remarry even though her husband's still likely alive, there was no remedy there, so you don't have to check with the person. However, where there is a remedy, like someone insulted someone else and they could apologize, or someone, um, you know, someone stole from someone else and they could return what was stolen. In all those cases where there is a remedy, you have to address the sinner first before making it public. Don't exaggerate. The Chavetz Chaim says, don't exaggerate, you know, your claim. Um, his proof for that is the Gemara in Arachin that says that somebody sinned, that somebody, some, someone saying, saying that someone sinned is even worse than doing the sin itself. The example given, as I said, was if a person um, rapes a woman, he's fined 50 pieces of silver, but... If a man falsely accuses a woman of being unfaithful um, after Kedushin, then he owes the woman a hundred pieces of silver. So it's a double, it's basically double the fine. You know, the, the action itself, namely rape, is is half the fine of falsely accusing someone of immoral of, of, of being unfaithful, which is a hundred pieces of silver. So the Gemara says claiming that someone sinned is even worse than doing the sin itself. Um, and the Gemara also says that a solitary witness cannot exaggerate in Beiston. So you can't, even a solitary witness can force someone to sin, uh, sorry, force someone to swear. However, they should not claim that that person owes even one penny over what they actually owe. Um, as I said too, in the, the, um, in the fifth, uh, rule that your remarks must be intended, uh, for a useful outcome, um, the, the Chavetz Chaim speaks about how even though the non, when the non-Jews basically punish, you know, and have, have, have oppressed the Jewish people throughout millennia, even though they're doing it because the Jewish people in truth deserve to be punished, nonetheless, God will punish the non-Jews at the end of the day. Why do those non-Jews deserve punishment? They're merely just being God's soldiers, kind of. They're just, you know, doing the orders of God to punish the Jewish people. Why are they punished? The reason given is because, yes, it's true, they did everything that they needed to do to, um, you know, to they, they oppressed the Jews because the Jews deserved it. However, they enjoyed oppressing the Jews. They intended to oppress the Jews. They got a good feeling, a geschmack, out of being able to oppress the Jewish people. And that's why God is going to punish them. And so too with speaking Lashon Hora about someone, Leto Ellis, that the only reason we should be speaking Lashon Hora is not because we enjoy speaking about that person. It's just because, it's only because we, um, we feel that, you know, it's necessary that to, to prevent a harm um, or to rest- or, or, or right or wrong. But we shouldn't do it because we enjoy it. Um, and the Chavetz Chaim talks about a Gemara in Sanhedrin, Yud Aleph, that says, Hashem tells, tells Yoshua, 
get up. Why are you praying? Israel sinned. Yoshua says, well, okay, well, tell me who sinned then so I can, I can address them. Hashem says, what do you think? I'm someone that speaks Lush and Hora? I'm, I'm an informer? No, go cast lots and the lot that it lands on, you know, the dice, uh, the dice roll that it lands on will tell you who the sinner is. And the lot landed on Achan. Who was Achan? He was a horrible sinner. He took riches from Yaricho against Hashem's command. He raped women. He transgressed all five books of the Torah. Terrible person. And why then, the, the Chavitz Chaim asked, why would, the, um, why would Hashem protect the identity of Achan? You know, we just spoke about you're actually allowed and maybe even you have to speak Lashon Hora about someone to right or wrong. So this is a classic example where Achan had to be stopped. Um, and God wouldn't call out Achan, even though he was this terrible person that needed to be stopped. Why is this, why is Lashon Hora protecting the identity of Achan? The Gemara, uh, the Chavetz Chaim says it's because there was another method that you were able to get to the same result of punishing Achan, but not through speaking Lashon Hora about him. How? Because you were able to cast lots. And by casting lots and landing on the identity of Achan without actually saying his name and calling him out, even though he was a terrible person, even though he deserved it, even though it was to right or wrong, nonetheless, since there was kind of another way to get around it by, um, you know, by, by, uh, by, by casting lots and finding Achan in kind of this indirect way, that is a much better way to do it than to call out Yachan, Achan uh, directly. Um, even though, again, he is a terrible person and, and you might think that you should be able to call him out, but since there's an alternative way, you should, you should use that way instead. And um, just in general, in halacha, you should always take the most civilized approach. An example of that is you're generally allowed to kill a rodef, kill someone that is attacking you. Um, uh, however, there's an exception. If you're able to take out a limb of that person or somehow hurt them, but in a non-lethal way, you have to do that. And if you kill them, even though you're able to take that person out in a non-lethal way, you're considered a murderer. So even though you are allowed to kill them normally, if you're able to do it in some non-lethal way, you have to. And if you kill them and don't take them out in a non-lethal way, you're a murderer. Um, so if it's as long as it's possible to reach a beneficial outcome without actually you know, without actually speaking Lashon Hora, you have to use that approach. Um, and um, and uh, as I gave that story about sort of the, uh, the, the Rosh Hashiva that heard one of his students went to a movie on Shabbat, instead of absolutely calling out and disgracing and humiliating that person, he very quietly and carefully and calmly addressed um, address this person by just saying, you know, hey, I heard the popcorn isn't kosher. Very quiet way to rebuke him and not at all an insulting and belittling way. Um, and also if you're a single witness, um, so there's a general rule that the Chavetz Chaim says you're not allowed to f make someone be punished more than they would have gotten in Bastin. So as I mentioned, if you're a single witness, the most you can do is force someone to take a shavua and, and, and take an oath that they didn't actually steal what you claim they stole. So if your Lashon Hora will cause any more damage to them than taking a Shavua, um, you shouldn't publicize what they did. Instead, you should try to figure out a way to get them to go to Bastin and, um, and make a Shavua instead of punishing them uh, by speaking Lashon Hora. Uh, moving on to Alacha Gimel, I spoke about how all of these conditions of speaking Lashon Hora, they only apply if the witness that is going to speak Lashon Hora has himself never committed the sin that he witnessed. But if that person himself committed the exact sin that he witnessed and he wants to, you know, and he wants to speak about, then um, you're not allowed to publicize it. Why is that? It's because 
it's just a general assumption, a very interesting concept, that it's an assumption that if a person, if there is a toelis, if there's no, if there's no toelis purpose, there's no permissible purpose, then, um, and that person just loves to see the downfall of, basically, there's no, there, there, there is no permissible purpose when you yourself are a sinner. If you're yourself are a sinner, it's like the pot calling the kettle black, and your purpose is probably not for the good. It's probably just to call someone out and make fun of them and degrade them, and it's just because you love to see the downfall of others. And as I said, that's not a permissible thing to do. And as I mentioned, Rav Chaim Kanievsky says, the way you can determine this is by saying, is if, as long as the main reason why you're speaking about someone is toelis, and it's not to get just, it's not just because you love speaking negatively about someone and seeing the downfall, seeing their downfall, then perhaps it's allowed as long as your main reason is uh, permissible, is, is, you know, for the good. An example given of someone that did the same sin and he's punished for, you know, that, that he himself did the same sin and he's punished for, for, you know, hurting someone else that did that sin. So Yehu fulfilled Hashem's will by annihilating and, and killing King Ahab's kingdom and killing King Ahab himself. Nevertheless, King, uh, killing King Ahab, um, even though it was commanded by God, is counted as a sin against Yehu. Why? Yehu himself was a sinner. Um, and he, uh, just, so he was a sinner just like Ahab. And this is basically just the, 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 the pot calling the kettle black that, um, that, you know, Yehu himself was a sinner and he killed King Ahab, but Yehu did the exact same sins as King Ahab. So therefore Yehu was punished for killing King Ahab, even though that was God's will. And to read my poem, if you see someone steal, their identity can be revealed, but address him in private before publicizing his name and do all you can to minimize his shame. And with that, uh, l'chaim l'chaim, and this has been the beginning of Klaal Yud.